Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. Hope you're all doing well. Good. Glad to hear that. I'm Stu Whiffin. I'll be your host. And it's another week, so we do have another episode, and this episode is great. Today's guest is keyboard breaker Ian Baker. So, an amazing career in broadcasting, an amazing career in Jesus Jones, and so much more. What an absolute gent. He came to meet me at the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen. So thanks to those guys for letting us record there. And we had a lovely chat. Uh, it was the first time we'd met and uh, and we had a lot of fun. And before we get on with the podcast, let me just do a quick shout out to www.podbiblemag.com, the essential guide to podcasts. Go and have a look. You can read it online or if you're lucky enough, you can pick up a print copy. Um, just quickly, thanks to the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to 76 for producing this. Thanks to My Name Is Ad for the artwork. I think that's all I need to say. Please enjoy this episode of Off The Beat and Track Podcast with Mr. Ian Baker. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? they're our official sponsor yeah that's right go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale you're going to love it so they've decided they want to be our sponsor which is amazing and what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing so here's a little bit of blurb so they've only been going a year and they're based in South End on Sea just up the road from me they put the company together based on a a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. 
So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Right, we're recording. We are at the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen. It's a slightly dreary Friday afternoon. Nice little ray of sunshine has just walked in, in the shape of uh, today's guest, Mr Ian Baker. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Do excuse a bit of background noise, because just as we press record, they're now making a delivery. So uh, there'll be some clanging, but, uh, but ignore that. We're keeping it real today. Yeah, we are keeping it. I, I, it, it adds to the atmosphere. Yeah. It adds to the atmosphere. Okay, I'll go with that. Um, thank you ever so much for, for venturing into town today to do this. That's quite all right. And uh, we've, we've, we've done that thing where I try not to talk to the guests too much before we start recording. Because no, because otherwise I will just, I will, the mouth will open yeah. and all of the anecdotes start rolling out and you'll be yeah. going, shut up, stop, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, back up. Back it, up. it was you that pulled rank and went, come on, let's get on with it, otherwise I'm yeah, going to Yeah, 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 I had to because I know what I'm like <clears throat> yeah. otherwise and I will, I'll just sally forth. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to... Uh, to hearing your song choices and uh, and as ever we start with the song with the greatest intro so what did you choose for that one Ian? Um, I chose and I well like all the choices on this list I it took me an awful lot of time I sat there and I thought the first thing you think of is let's just go for the let's just go for my first impulse that'll be the best and, you can have and, some honourable mentions as well yeah honourable mentions and then you then you change your mind and, and I think I thought about it first a, a little bit too I overthought it. <laughs> I overthink everything. So, but I overthought it too much, and I thought things like uh, "I Will Possess Your Heart" by Death Cab for, Death Cab for Cutie, because it's got that amazing intro where the, the bass comes in totally naked, um, and almost nothing happens, and then little by little, other bits of uh, of instrumentation come in. And I just thought that's that's an amazing intro. And then I started thinking I wanted to put some crass in there because crass are just brilliant. And and nobody did intros, perhaps not standard intros of other songs, but nobody did intros to shock people like crass did. Um, there's a song they did on, on Station to the Crass called White Punks on Hope, which just starts with Steve Ignorant speaking completely naked. It's just him and his voice. Um, before I always thought it was a synth that comes in. It's not a synth. It's a bass guitar that's overloaded um, that comes in. So he comes in and he does. It's just brilliant the way he comes in and he says, um, "You know, they said that we were trash, but the name is Cress, not Clash." I think stuff there, pug credentials, because it's him that take the cash. Um, and I just thought that was brilliant. They won't change nothing with their fashionable walk, RAR badges and their protest walk. Um, thousands of white men standing in a park, objecting to racism, a candle in the dark. Um, and that was the sound of my youth, really. And, and there's that sort of, it just brings out all those amazing emotions in me hearing things like that. But above and beyond all of that, I sat and thought t- t- too much about this. And I went for um, All My Friends by LCD Sound System. Because I just think it's, I, it, it's unstoppable, that record. It's, it's about a 10-minute 
Is it an intro for 10 minutes? I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's <laughs> just, it's, it, that intro, you know, it starts, if you've not heard it, I mean, you can go to the, you can the go Spotify, this, playlist. Spotify playlist yeah. and listen to it. If you've not heard it for the first time, I mean, you're in for a treat. It's just amazing. And the thing that makes it amazing, uh, I always think, is for a start, it's got to have been the, one of the biggest Joy Division and New Order fans, because listening to that song, that song plays like it's like you're watching a New Order rehearsal for the, you know, and watching them, sorry, listening to them play a song for the first time ever. It's like watching a band, like listening to a band feeling their way through a song. It's quite, it's, it's almost tentative and um, it's full of nervous energy. Mm. Uh, and it's just this wonky little keyboard riff. And, and it's just perfect for the song that it is. And so many of his songs, um, so many LCD Sound System songs, are concern themselves with this melancholy feeling of, of time going by. If you listen to Losing My Edge, that's the first thing I ever heard. And that's a perfect example of yeah. that. It's, it's the most now thing you've ever heard. It sounds really current and up to date. When I heard it, yeah. it sounded like the future. But all the way through is, the song, is, the, it, is a guy lamenting the fact mm. that he's too old for the fucking future. Yeah. That the future's gone already yeah. before he's got to it. And other people are getting there first. People younger and more vital than him. So this song is, is talking about the future and it sounds like the future, but it's suffused with this sense of losing something. And All My Friends is an absolutely perfect other example of that. It, the whole song is about, well, let's go around to my friend's house. Let's do some drugs. Mm -hmm. Let's go crazy. Um, let's party like there's no tomorrow. You, that, that line in there where he says, you know, if I could trade one single decision for, an, you know, for another five years of life, then I'd do it. I wouldn't yeah. give it. If somebody gives you a pill and says, well, that could kill you, and you think, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> I'm on this journey now. I'm going to yeah. do it. Um, so, and there's a sense in, in all my friends where, He's throwing himself into this amazing night out. But at the same time, there's this sense in the song that things are changing and he can't do this forever. There's that real sense in there. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, come on, let's go and do this. Let's do this one more time. Let's party like there's no yeah. tomorrow because we're all growing up. We, we can't keep doing this. Yeah. So let, but let's go and do this. Yeah. Um, and and, that, and that, that sense of nervous energy in the song, that sense of acceptance that this is dangerous, but we've got to do it. This, yeah. is, this is us growing up and we've got to get rid of our youth, but I don't want to get rid of it. All of that's contained in this nervous energy yeah. of the intro. Ding, 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 ding. It's, it's like, a, like a heartbeat yeah. that's pounding a little, yeah. bit, a little bit too much, a little bit on the edge, yeah. you know? And listening to it, it brings out that sense of excitement What's, what's going to happen? What's and it gonna builds, happen? doesn't it? The, yes. the track builds and builds yep. and builds. Yeah, and it's yeah, yeah, yeah. just euphoric at the end. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, that's, obviously, that's obviously something which he planned. You know, and it, you know, it comes down to the subject matter. But very few people manage to dovetail you know, lyrics and the way a song sounds so perfectly yeah. as that. 
Yeah. And, and it's a salutary lesson for musicians out there, you know, that it's sometimes, it's, yeah, you can write a great song. Sometimes yeah. you can play a great song. But to get them to join together and to sing from the same page like that is, yeah. is a very, very rare thing. He's a fascinating dude, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. He's equal parts genius, pretentious, and uh, yeah. all the things, I guess, that that go in the pot to make someone as interesting as him, you know? Yeah, they're, 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 there's always like that with geniuses. It's, yeah. You know, there's a genius tax, isn't there? There always is. Yeah. You look at, you look at Marvin Gaye, he's, yeah. he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. There'll never be another Marvin yeah. Gaye. And, you know, his father has to shoot him dead because he turns into such an arsehole yeah. doing so much coke all the time. Yeah. And, you know, how much of a genius tax is that? You know, and, and so many geniuses through the creative through the years of, of creativity reflect that as well it doesn't matter who you know pick a name pick any name off the top of your head mm. and they'll have that kind of balance of yeah. this is amazing and at the same time Christ what yeah. are they like yeah um, but I think the genius of LCD sound system is that all of those things are are balanced in the output of what they do completely, um, completely. which some, sometimes with other geniuses um, you listen to the song and it's just genius. Mm. Um, and some of the bad behaviour or the acting like an arsehole, that's what happens in nightclubs mm. late at night and you see it in the gossip pages of the newspapers. Yeah. Whereas with LCD, there's that, there's that acceptance in, in everything that they do that all of that is happening at every moment. Um, you see the whole picture all the time. And... And as well as going and, and, and checking the, the Spotify playlist, go and watch this performed. Um, they released the, the film of it, didn't they? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this live... Oh, it's just... It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's unreal, isn't like, it? It's, it's unreal. It's, it's absolute goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, it and is. It is. I mean, the song is anyway, but yeah. then live, it takes it to another level. Yeah, and it was meant to have been their last ever gig, wasn't it? Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, and I, he couldn't resist, kind yeah. of... I mean, I don't think he could ever resist finding out what it would be like to yeah. split. Yeah. And then I think he always had it in his mind to find out what it would be like to reunite. I yeah. think he always knew that. Yeah. You know, because he's so in love with the romance and the um, the fairy tale mm. of of being in a band. Yeah. You know, sometimes I almost think that, you know, people always say, well, you, you practice with a tennis racket in front of a mirror, with a, um, with a tennis racket in front of a mirror pretending to play the guitar when you're wanting to be a rock star yeah. for when you're a kid. That's what you do. You put, the, you put the, the record player on and stand there with a the guitar and see what it would look yeah. like. Um, he's still living life in that mirror all the time and he's, and he's actually made it as being a rock star. Yeah. He d doesn't ever want to put that little mirror down. He yeah. loves... He loves what it is to be a rock star, but he still loves watching himself being a rock star. And that's where I think that the... Um, that's, that, that's a great description, You mate. know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's where the whole idea of wanting to split the band and reform the yeah. band come from. Because that's not a decision that he's taking as the person who's a rock star. That's a decision he's taking looking at the mirror yeah. of the person in the rock star. Oh, well, what, what would this guy look like if yeah. the band splits? And what would happen? You, that's, that's the marvellous thing about that band. And that's a marvellous reason to have that as your choice, yeah. mate. That's so, very yeah, we well go. explained. Yeah, there you go. Very well explained, mate. There you go. Um, okay, so just quickly on intros. Yes. Um, 
as, as, as a musician and as a DJ. Yeah. Um, the importance of, of intros, both when Jesus Jones first started. Yep. And, and, and now, you know, and we, we, with current music, how, how important do you think the intros were from then to now? Um, I think they've always been important. Um, nowadays, they're much more important for different reasons. Nowadays, people skip so many things on exactly. Spotify that, that, that songs have to grab you instantaneously and they have to do that more effectively than they ever did. Mm. So having an intro to a song that, that hits and hits straight away is almost de rigueur these days, which I think is... Which is a little bit of a shame because it, it, you know, music has changed in the way that streaming has taken over, because it, we are presented with. <laughs> streaming is weird. Streaming, yes, it, it streams online, but it's a stream of of information as well. Those stream in both senses of the word. So this, you know, you open the door to your, you open your laptop up, and blam, this kind of stuff comes out at you, and sometimes you have to just grab. Oh, what's that? What's that? What's that? Um, and that's changed things in the sense that um, bands that previously allowed sounds to almost develop over time have perhaps been forced into much more proactive ways of just getting out there and hitting people in the eyes with their music quicker, which I think is a bit of a shame. Um, Are you talking predominantly about radio here? Yes, um, well, yeah. I mean, I'm just yeah. thinking back to LCD sound yeah, system and yeah, thinking totally. that's not necessarily a radio-friendly no, no, intro at, at all, No, not at all, not at all. You know, and I like, you know, that's a record which happened before streaming, really. Yeah. And I'd like to, you know, would it have had the same impact on us if this had been a, a, a record from the era of Spotify? I, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, even, you know... It, it has had an effect, yes, and it's, it's not just on radio records, on indie records or whatever. It, it's had an effect on, on other things too. You know, back in um, when I was buying a lot of house music, when I was DJing, when I was DJing house, you'd buy vinyl and the vinyl would have four different mixes on it. You'd always have um, an instrumental and then you'd always have a dub mix and the dub mix which, which would start just with a kick drum and then the... In come the cymbals and the hi-hat and then a clap eventually and, and you build it up and that's the idea that you layer that over the top of other songs. And even if you go these days to buy your music off, you know, Beatport or, or whatever, um, even things like that, like house music, which should be a long, slow, lazy build-up type thing, they're hitting quicker. Yeah. House music um, tunes are hitting quicker than they ever did because these days people consume and choose their music on platforms like Beatport in the same way they listen to, to streaming services like Spotify. So yeah. in the same way, you know, you go to Spotify, you open up your, your radar playlist where they say this is what's happening, your release radar for what's happening this week, you listen to 20 seconds or something yeah. and go, oh, that's really good, I'll listen to that, yeah. you know, and you listen to 20 seconds, nah, it's not for me, move on. And same thing on Beatport, when you buy house music, you'll listen to top 10 house releases of the week and you'll go oh yeah that's all right bang fair enough and then if there's something that's taking far too long to get going you'll probably pass it over yeah which so this quick streaming disposable way of looking at music is having an effect on on everything it changes everything the immediacy that the the internet has given us it's a it's a double-edged sword it's a brilliant thing yeah 
but it can have stifling effects yeah. as well. I'm, I'm glad you said all, all of that because that, I was worried that, that that question didn't come across quite right with, with, with the both ends of the sort of from Jesus Jones to now, but you explain that yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's not just about you know what we did as a band, yeah. you know, but it definitely it, it affects everything. Yeah, absolutely. Track to him. Yep. The first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Yeah, this is um, Hiroshima Mon Amour by Ultravox. And there are two versions of Hiroshima Mon Amour. Uh, the, the one that I think everybody knows is the one that's track four, second side of Ha Ha Ha, which is the second Ultravox album. And it's the first time that they've really made a move off towards, I suppose it's kraut rock or even sort of futurism or it's, there's, there's a drum machine. I think it's a Tiara. I think it's a TR-88. There's a drum machine that pulses all the way through it and big synth washes of sound. And it's, it became massively influential. Obviously, you know, it influences Gary Newman and a lot of the early futurist bands. Um, and that's the one that people remember and they play most. But b before they recorded that, they also recorded another version of Hiroshima More and More, which ended up as the B-side to Rock Rock, which I think is the second or third Ultravox single. And it's that one, which is the one that had the biggest emotional impact on me. And at that, I heard it for the first time um, in 1978, so probably early 78. So uh, after it had come out, maybe six months, six, seven, eight months, been? I would have been 12. And, and at that point, I'm a little punk kid. I'll have bought some of the records that I'll have be talking about later. Yep. Um, I'm a little punk rock kid, and I'm just finding my way through all of this amazing stuff that's out there. And like so many people, I had you know, a facilitator to do that. And it was my next door neighbor, this guy called Steve, Steve McCulloch. And he was a little bit older than me, which meant that his record collection was just off the hook. It was amazing. So I went around to his house and he's got, he's got all the pistols out, um, out the, you know, the album, the singles. He's got, he's got everything. He's got all of the record sleeves on the wall. He goes to the gigs. And was you already hooked by music? Yeah, I'm totally in there. But this is this is he's like a dealer for me. Yeah. You know, I'm like, like, can I borrow this stuff? And yeah. you know, this is an, a, a time where you couldn't just say, well, I'll go to Spotify and brush up on whatever. Um, you couldn't get the stuff. Yeah. And all, you know, I lived in Wiltshire. I lived in the countryside. I lived uh, 30 or 40 minutes away from a really decent record shop where I could buy anything yeah. by a punk band. And so the idea that I could go around my next door neighbor's house and he'd be like, yeah, borrow these Clash singles. That's fine. Would, it would just be the best thing ever. And one day he, I, he was a massive Ultravox fan. And he was like, you've got to hear this record. It's amazing. So he played it to me, played both sides of the single, played Hiroshima one or more. And I remember thinking, oh, that's great. Um, I'll borrow it and I can listen to it after school the next day. And something about that record just... It's like it had lit a fuse inside me. And I remember this, that happened with my neighbor on a Tuesday. On Wednesday, I'm in school. You know, you finish at three o'clock, quarter past three. The last two lessons on a Wednesday afternoon, like double maths or something, something dull. And I'm sitting there, and at about two o'clock, it's like I can hear the little bits of the record start playing in my mind. And... The little, a voice in my brain says, oh, when you get home, you can play that record. Oh, great. And about half an hour later, the noise in my mind is getting louder. And I remember thinking, 
what, what time's that? Looking at my watch, looking at the clock, thinking, what time's school finish? I've got to get out of here because I can go home and I can play that record. That'd be great. And literally, by the time the bell goes, I am picking up my bag and, and like, walking really quick, as quickly as I can down, down the um, road from the school, thinking, I've got to get back. I've got to play this record. And, but I, it was half an hour to walk back, and I, did, I must have done it in 10 minutes because halfway through, this record is playing in my... I can hear every damn note of this record playing in my mind. And I'm just, all of me is thinking, I've got to get home, I've got to get home, I've got to get home so I can play this bloody record. Um, so what was the emotion, excitement? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it, was, it, 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 I don't know, it just fired something off inside me. That's like, I have to go home and hear this record. Um, and that was it. And as soon as I heard it, it's, it's, that's the first time that a record had not... I'd been excited about music before, but that's, a rec that's the first time that a record had ever gone... Like, like Alien, where the thing just goes, yeah. and sticks on your face. And you know that you're never going to get it off. Yeah. It's stuck to you. That's it. It's inside you. It's in your DNA. You know, it's a part of you. And from that point onwards, that record's been an absolute part of my life, a driving force in my, in my life. You know, the, the excitement and the sound of it and, and the feelings that it engendered. Um, from that day onwards, I've been searching for that same feeling. In music, every time I, I listen to something, I use that as a yardstick. Well, does it make me feel as good as, as that? You know, does it? It's the same. I use that as a as a benchmark to to guide me through making choices. Well, you know, what sort of band do I want to be in? What sort of music do I want to write? What sort of other things do I listen want to listen to? Even if it's not necessarily that same sound, but I just want it to do the same things. I want music to do the same things to me that that record did on that Wednesday afternoon. At um, 12 years old. Yeah, at 12 years old. That's and amazing. It's, it, it's a, it, for those people that haven't heard this, this alternate version, uh, John Fox, the singer at the time, described it as, as the, the sound of dragging your face across concrete. It's a really, it's very, very abrasive. It's this harsh, punky thing. Um, Stevie Shears, the original guitarist, he was a genius. It's this really... He, like, bending the notes on this little black Stratocaster that you always used to play. It's really, it's almost, it's, the, it's quite an amphetamine rush to this song. Um, and Warren Can, the drummer, everybody thinks of Warren and, and Ultravox from there on. He's it's quite, it's got metronomic sort of, do, 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 all the songs, you know, whether it's Sleepwalk or I don't know. Any, I don't really know much of the stuff past John Fox because mm. I, I split from the band at that point. I didn't want to really have anything to do once Midge joined, but with Warren and Ultravox, a lot of those songs that he plays, do, 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 it's the sound of a drum, you know, playing along to a lind drum. Do, do, yeah. do, 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 do. So you don't really expect to hear him doing things like he did on this version of Hiroshima Monomori. Basically, you can tell that he spent his life growing up wanting to be Keith Moon. Or the whole song is just, it's the sound of him playing fills for mm. about three and a half minutes and with this kind of soaring violin over the top of it. It's great. It's an, it's a, and it's not, it's a great thing. If you're sitting there listening to this now thinking, oh, what the hell do I want to listen to an Ultravox record? I think I know what Ultravox sound like. Yeah. Listen to that. It's nothing what Ultravox. The, the Fox sound. era was far, far different it, from anything. Completely man. different anyway. Yeah. And this is as much out there as that era ever yeah. gets. It's amazing. So you've completely deconstructed that record there. Yes. I do that all the time, sorry. Was you doing that then? Yes, yeah, very was much Was you already so. starting to take apart records and yeah. work out how they were put together? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I, you know, um, 
what is it about this record that works? You know, what is it about? I remember the, the, some of the first things I ever heard, like Fox on the Run by Sweet. I remember hearing that. That's another. I shouldn't. You know, that's another candidate for amazing intro. You know, we start. It's just amazing, sort of exciting noise. Um, I, I, you know, I was always, you know, I, I, what is it about certain bits of records? You know, the, the intros, the the start when the guitar piles in. You know, as soon as the the first line of the song. Um, I was always doing that, you know, and once you find out what it is, you, you pull things apart. And it was when I joined a band, that was the thing I loved more than anything else. You know, when we went to the studios, I could, this is amazing because I've always been fascinated by the sort of secret languages behind everything. There, is a, there's a, there are secrets behind absolutely everything in life. You know, if you're, um, and it doesn't matter what you do, if you're a dustman, you know, then you know there's, you know little things about your the the route. You know where little tricks about how to get the lorry down a certain road, and, yeah. and little things about when people do things, when people leave for work, when they just little things. You you know more about the language of the area in which you live yeah. because you're you're seeing it from a different direction. Yeah. Um, everybody has that job. If you work behind a bar, you know you look, you know how to make drinks, and you know little tricks about. Yeah. How to, and I've always been fascinated. For every single person, there are secret little things that they know that make their lives tick. And when I and with music, I was always fascinated by that other language. Music presents itself as one language, but underneath it, there's the language of how it's created. And there's, that's quite a complicated thing. And decoding that, pulling that apart, seeing those different threads, for me, was almost as fascinating as hearing the, the fully um, finished product. And of course, once you join a band, you never, ever hear you hardly ever hear that finished product ever again the same way yeah. because you've been in a you've been in a band uh, in, in a studio and you know what happens when somebody says well lay a bass drum down for four minutes and then that's you've had a look behind the curtain haven't you yeah you've looked behind the curtain yeah. and you've seen that and I'm I'm still fascinated by that you know yeah. well I want to pick back up on this and and the, the time that you was listening to music at, at, at this point in in, in the late 70s and early 80s and, and how that impacted on you yep. becoming a cable player. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but for track three, I, I guess this is probably a, a point where we can drop in on that as well. Um, I ask you to pick the song that reminds you of your time at school. Yes. Um, and I picked, I picked Atomic by Blondie. And, and it's one of these weird ones because I, I listened to it on the, on the train coming up here today. It's, still, it's, not, even, it's not even my favourite Blondie song. You know, if I had to pick a list of Blondie songs, it's not at the top. So it's what would be at the top? Um, Shayla or Union City Blue? Union City Blue would be mine I as well. I love Union City Blue. And Shayla as well. Shayla's yeah. amazing. And Shayla is, you know, end of the century by the Ramones. Yep. So, yeah. Um, it's the same thing as uh, Danny Says. You know Danny Says, yeah, which yeah, I yeah, just yeah. think is the most beautiful Ramones song. And Shayla and Danny Says, they're like two sides of the same coin. I love them both. Um... So both those songs are amazing. But Atomic brings all the memories back. What and memories? What's, what's that make you think it, of? It's because at the time, it's, you know, obviously Blondie, when I grew up talking about listening to these, you know, what I was listening to at the time, I'm a little punk kid. I heard these records when I was, I heard these bands and these punk bands when I was 76, 77. And it was just the most exciting thing ever to me. But then I've always been fascinated by the way that music assimilates itself throughout 
culture. The way that it, when you record something, you think you have an idea of what it is, but it takes on an entirely different meaning once it vanishes off into the wider world. Um, I've always been fascinated by that. Um, and there's almost nothing that you can do as an artist to, to, to change that. You know, when, you, when Mike wrote right here, right now, you, he may think he knows what it's all about, but the, the legacy of that song is contained in the way that other people think about it. Yeah. You can't say, well, here's a song, and the only way that you must ever think about this song is by thinking about... Uh, an old girlfriend that I had when, yeah. I was, when I was writing that song. Because yeah. other people will be like, well, it reminds me of school, yeah. but it reminds me of college, yeah. but it reminds me of being in France, of but it reminds me of being in Africa. Yeah. Well, a thousand different meanings, and that's the beauty of it. And so I was fascinated when I was growing up with, uh, of seeing how things changed and morphed as they reached out to people. And Blondie are a great example, because they started off as this quite punky thing, but then once they turned out to be this commercial behemoth as a band. Once it translated into something which had commercial impact, then the band started to change and they started to grow and mutate and put out these incredibly different sounding things. You know, Atomic is it's part of it, it's a new wave song, part of it's a disco song. Oh, completely. It, you know, complete disco song. You know, moving, taking up, picking up the baton from something like Heart of Glass. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Um, and watching them change was, was fascinating. But then also, and this is where the memories come in for me for school, because I loved watching... Blondie turned from being a band that the boys liked because they were a, a kind of punky thing and the boys would jump up and down to hanging on the telephone and I loved watching them change to once in, Eat to the Beat came out that's when the girls loved them as well mm. and the girls started getting involved yeah. and I loved watching a song and a band and everything change as that song flowed through a much wider yeah. reach of people. And, and, and I'd sit there in the school disco, and I remember watching it in the school disco and looking around and, and having this really powerful kind of sense of with watching everybody dance to Atomic and knowing that I'd kind of grown up with Blondie, and it's only you know, a couple of years or whatever, but what it was just exciting sort of thinking, Christ, this look at all of us growing up and growing up with this music. And all the people, I remember looking around and thinking, shit, these people are going to have children. Hmm. Really? People, yeah. I remember, like, I remember looking around at my mates and thinking, you know, it's that melancholy time passing thing. It's that L LCD sound system thing again. Looking around and watching the years go by and watching the years fall away a bit and thinking, you know, in 10 years' time, where the hell are we all going to be? Who's going to have kids? Who's, who's not going to have kids? Who's going to have a job and who's not going to have a job? I can, you know, I can, 
these these aren't just girls around me anymore. They're they're, they're starting to be women. Yeah. Um, it was. I remember. I vividly remember. I was. It was at Lavington School in Wiltshire, and they play that at a disco, and everybody else is dancing, and I'm sitting there. It's like an acid trip. I'm sitting there, literally glued to my seat, watching all of this kind of happen in front of me, thinking, "Christ, this is what's." I'm watching life unfurl, um, and it was a really, really powerful thing. Did you enjoy um, your time at school, though? Yeah, I loved it. I had a great time. It makes it, that makes it seem like I'm overanalyzing yeah. everything, doesn't it? <laughs> but you know, um, like I was this kind of way too thoughtful kid. But that's just because I allowed music to do that to me. And you know, you know, when we're talking about that record that you know about Hiroshima Monomore, you know, you know. Once I gave into that, I allowed music to uh, unlock this, these sorts of feelings in me. And I loved feeling that. You know, it, it, talking about the, the, the hidden language behind things, talking about letting it, letting yourself find that other language, letting yourself see how music affected people, see how it was becoming the soundtrack to, to a life unfolding and imagining how that life was gonna unfold in the future. I just loved that, you know, and, and everybody, everybody kind of has that, but I just, I spent a little bit more time than anybody else, I suppose, looking for it. Yeah. I mean, we can't not discuss the, the impact as a schoolboy that Debbie Harry must have oh, had. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, big time. I mean, because not only was she beautiful, yeah. she was the coolest person out yeah, there, yeah, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Was there anyone cooler than Debbie no. Harry at that no, time? No, no, no. Was, was you aware that the, you know, she wasn't you know, a the, normal the, the pop guys star? Wanted to be out with, you know, the guys wanted to go out with her and the girls wanted to be her, yeah. you know, which, is, which is the perfect recipe. Um, was you aware that she was more than just a disposable pop star? Yeah, very much so. I think there was this, and some of that is... is on a basic level, when you're just a schoolboy, you see the sneer more than anything else. You know, there's that don't fuck with me sneer. Yeah, yeah. You see that, and that's really quite... It's not, not threatening, what's the word? It's just kind of, whoa, it, it rocks you back on your heels. Yeah. Um, and that was quite exciting, obviously. She was intimidating to a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the intimidation... The intimidation is more of... Uh, was more than the, the sexual thing, I think. And that, that goes for a lot of back then. She was much less of a, there was much less kind of that. With Kate Bush, there was much more of a, whoa, look at yeah. her, she, whoa, she's fit. Yeah. Um, you never got that. You know, people never sort of said, whoa, Debbie Harris, yeah. she's fit. There was, there was this kind of, whoa, she's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, and if you look back to the classic example of that with Blondie, you know, the, the, one of the worst kind of misogynist um, press campaigns that they had early on when they released their first, when they released uh, Ripper to Shreds. Mm -hmm. The record company out, put out a, a, an advert of her in a short dress, you know, looking sexy, you know, with this thing that said, wouldn't you love to rip her to shreds? Which, no, <laughs> you imagine people putting that out now, like the worst God. sexist nonsense to put out as an advert. Yeah. But having said that, you know, obviously it's a product of the time, but... Obviously, at the time, I think those executives really realized that what they were dealing here, with here was a sexuality which wasn't in your face and dealt with this kind of nihilist energy that, yeah, that, that young boys had at that yeah. time, which almost wasn't a sense of sexual connection to an idol. It was a sense of that... Um, 
Yeah, just the, the frustration of, of, of virgin youth. Yeah. And that they definitely tapped into that. And Blondie had that. Debbie Harry had that unapproachable thing. Yeah. And I think the record company played up to that. And obviously, some certain times that did... It, it zoomed off into horribly misogynistic areas. But yeah. what the hell? You yeah. know, and it's 1978. Yeah. The planet was horribly misogynistic then. So Absolutely. It was the it was the lingua franca. Track four, mate. Yep. First record you purchased. First record I purchased. I listened to this on the train as well, almost to kind of remember, uh, rem remind myself of it because I don't play it that much anymore. Uh, it's in the city by the Jam, which is their first single. It came out in Mar. I think it's Mar. It's, I, I bought it summer at summer '77. Um, Where from? From Oliver's record shop in Devizes. It didn't have a picture cover because Devizes was a little bit out off the beaten track. Devizes was five miles from my house. Um, but you know, if you wanted to get the ones with, if you want to get the singles with the picture covers and the, the rare stuff, you had to go to Bath or Bristol, and that's 45 minutes or an hour away. So I went into um, Devizes to buy it. it. Cost me 65 pence. Uh, Knockout Center. It's just fantastic, and it was it was it was a an, it's this effervescent, exciting. It's not a punk record, even if you listen to it now. It's more of a power pop record. Mm. It it actually presages a lot of things by bands like The Chords, Secret Affair. It's yeah. much more mod. Definitely, it's much more mod yeah. than a lot of things even that came afterwards. Yeah. If you look at the next records um, all around the world, that's much more punky. Mm. Um, in the city, yeah. it's much more. It's more like a mod thing. Yeah. Um, the punk thing, they you know even modern world, that's a bit more. That's more power pop. Um, so it definitely it was it was like a secret affair record. Two year two years before anybody even thought a secret affair. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's it was massively important. But in this, I suppose in the same way that. It's like losing your virginity, isn't it? Buying your first record. And for a lot of people, it's, you know, sometimes it's something which just has to be got through. And sometimes it's this thing that leaves you in tears and you'll never forget it and you'll never forget your first love. Sometimes you've already forgotten that first love and you're thinking, well, what's next? And mm -hmm. then you, you suddenly find yourself after that, in the period after that. Some people find themselves at that moment. Some people find themselves after that. For me... Um, so I started out being, a, I was a massive jam fan for about six months, six or eight months, and then I just moved on. Um, so it was hugely important, but for a very short period of time. Yeah. And, you know, is it my fa it's not even my favorite jam single. Like I said, I think that is probably All Around the World, which is the next thing. I, and The Modern World, which is the third single I love as well. Those, those, the first three singles are just brilliant. So exciting. Did you ever dip back in? Was you interested in the Star Council? Um, not really the Star Council by then, you know, because the Star Council is 81, 82, and mm. by then that whole sort of cappuccino kid and yeah, the, yeah, yeah, and the yeah, jazzy yeah. thing, you know, I, I'd zoomed off into post-punk and I'm listening yeah. to Bauhaus and Magazine at that point. Oh, the Star Council does not and, fit and in so there, It didn't really it? fit. <laughs> it didn't really fit. You know, yeah. I mean, I could get, you know, I'm, I can go as far as kind of Aztec camera and stuff like that, but yeah. the Star Council thing, I didn't really buy into it wholesale. It's um, really weird. I've just got to say something because yeah. I was driving home from, from London the other night and I was just flicking through the radio and I had, I had the children in the car and Aztec camera, yes. um, somewhere in my heart, come on the radio. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
and I know that's a lot later than the era of Aztec camera you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but I, I think Somewhere in Your Heart is yeah. one of the greatest pop records ever yeah, made. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's just one of the most perfect pop yeah. records as well. And my 15-year-old daughter, yeah. I could hear singing it. Yeah. And it just fascinates me that I've never heard her play that. That, her pop that music. record, that record is, I cannot understand how, like, can you imagine the sheer balls of somebody to write a song that is a, literally a collection of about 30 of the best hooks oh, no. you've ever heard in your oh, life, no. right? Back to back. Yeah. The silver hits the blue. That's yeah. amazing. The love will see it through. That's amazing yeah. as well. And so I'm wearing my heart. Jeez, yeah. every single one. Yeah. Hook, 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 hook. Intro. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ba summer in the city. Yeah, 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 yeah. Straight hook, in. Hook, 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 hook. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just amazing. Amazing. But that, that kind of thing, we've, we've, yeah. I mean, that, Christ, that record came out way before she was born. Yeah. And, and it just interests me oh, how we'll some that pop music yeah, yeah, just yeah. find their way through. Yeah. And she knew all the words. And I was like, how yeah. do you know this song? She's like, I don't know, I just hear it. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I just find that really strange how these records do find their way. Yeah. Oh, and there's, well, he was just brilliant, you know. He, uh, he was just brilliant. And obviously, um, you know, probably still is. Yeah. But, um, some of that, that, the early stuff, the early um, Aztec camera stuff, the, other, the first ever version of We Could Send Letters, yeah. uh, which was on um, the uh, Enemy C81 cassette. That's just amazing. That version of, of We Could Send Letters, which I think it's the B-side of the, the first single on... Uh, postcard, that's brilliant. Jesus, and you, you're out nerding me. I mate, I can get. I I'm can impressed. Go. Yeah, that's that version. <laughs> if, you, if you can find it, go. For, um, if anybody can, um, if anyone wants to hear that, go to YouTube. Aztec camera. We could send letters. Bracket C81 version or something like. That. See if you yeah. find the C81 version because it's it's totally different. It's it's a lot more. It's a lot more reflective and. Um, more melancholy than the version that ended up on Highland Hard Rain, um, which is, the, the, you know, the first album was, um, by the time they did Highland Hard Rain, it, it was, they, they were starting to throw a lot of money at the yeah. production and it was quite big sounding. Yeah. So they did take a lot of the early songs and make them, Mm. Um, and flesh them out a bit, but hearing that uh, initial thing, it's quite tentative, and it, you'll you'll hear genius. You'll yeah. hear genius, and you'll hear where it comes from if you hear There's that. There's a really good documentary about Postcard on Amazon Prime. I don't know if you've oh, seen yes. it. Oh yes, I can't remember what it's called. Um, mm. Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, yes. really, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. really enjoyed. I mean, um, the story of kind of Scottish indie music and how it develops is just endlessly fascinating. Did and, sorry, yeah, go on. and I had, I've always been quite fascinated by it because I've got this sort of secret, I have a secret indie past, I had a secret C86 sort of past. When I, when I started move, moving to London for the first time, some of the first ever bands that I remember seeing, um, uh, the TV personalities and Biff Bang Pow and the Jasmine Minx, because I knew um, Dan Tracy from the TVPs really yep. well. Um, and that led me to go to Alan McGee's club, the living room, uh, Dan's club, the room at the top, and that's where I... You know, I remember seeing the June Brides and seeing all of these sort of bands. And then I, I ended up knowing the people from the Shop Assistants, the band The Shop Assistants. And I used to go and follow them ar around the country. So I went to see them play in 
in Edinburgh and Glasgow. And from there, you know, you just dive straight into mm. it. It's such a fertile, they had a, such a fertile music scene and you just dive straight into it. And it was really quite exciting watching it and seeing how amazing that Scottish indie scene was. You know, yeah. So you go to, you watch the shop assistants and then you go into a little rehearsal room around the corner and see Jesse Garren and the Desperados rehearse. And then, you know, we'd get on a bus and we'd go to um, see the shoppies play with Primal Scream at Splash One, which is Bobby Gillespie's club. And there's all the members of the Soup Dragons are down there and, and various people who would end up in teenage fan club and they're all part of this strange stew of people mm. that was sort of boiling away and, and shooting off in all these different directions and it was great because it was utterly unpretentious yeah unlike london london could be quite up itself whereas it was scotland was just like, you ain't allowed like, to be up yourself <laughs> no you're not allowed to be and everything was because of that everything is much more direct and much more honest as yeah. a result so that's what you get when we're talking about Aztec Camera, that's probably why he did things like that. You yeah. know, why do you why do you go summer in the city and it comes yeah. straight in because yeah. because there's no bullshit mm. because there's no oh how do I faff around for three yeah. minutes before I uh, summer in the and then eventually summer in the city. You know, <laughs> no, no, no. You go straight into it because there is no there's much less pretension around yeah. the things that they did. There was a really good documentary on BBC Three about Scottish music about. A, about really? six, seven months ago, yeah. Okay. Really, oh, really good. Okay. Uh, no. Tell me what it was. I've got to go and watch oh, it. Oh, God, I? I can't think of what it was called, but it, it, obviously it was about postcard, but it also, yeah. it touched on the Proclaimers, and it also yeah. went into yeah. sort of uh, Deacon Blue and things like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But Well, um, that's a big thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a sort of thing that gets a little bit overlooked in the... In the Oh, and in, in the mid-80s, right but this kind of, in the mid-80s, this almost like a blue-eyed soul thing yeah. that the Scots had going. And it, really, so, it talks about that a lot. So, yeah, yeah. so you had bands like, like, like Win, uh, Love and Money, uh, Friends Again, um, and then that leads into Deacon Blue. Hue there, there and Cry. Hue wait, and wait, Cry, wait. yeah, you know, even like Fruits of Passion. Yeah. You know, I can nerd out for like days and days on little bands like that. But, uh, it... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It was a massive, massive thing, and it leads into things like Paul Quinn, you know, who sang 
they did versions of like, uh, Pale Blue Eyes by the Velvet Underground, had that real soul thing going on. That was a massive thing, you know. And, and the Proclaimers. It, yeah, absolutely. And it, 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 and it bleeds off into, into so many other things. Yes, mm. it bleeds off into the Proclaimers. It be, bleeds off into other things like uh, the Blue Nile. Um, so, yeah, just such a fertile time. It's so exciting. And, and I love how, as you've probably noticed, I love j joining the dots between yeah. so many things. And, yeah. and, and Scotland, so perhaps more than any other area of music in, in this country, is an area where you, you join the dots. I've got a good dot joiner for you. Yeah, go on. Did you watch the Proclaimers documentary the other week? No, I need to watch that now as well, don't I? It's amazing. Okay. So, the dots are... Yep. So they put this little... Uh, uh, so Kevin Rowland, see them live. Yes. Said, I need to put you in a studio and record it because you're singing with Scottish accents. Okay. And at that point, lots of other bands weren't necessarily singing in their Scottish accents. Yep. Put them in a studio where Edwin Collins produced them. Yep. And then the first person to hear the demo was Paul Heaton, who then went, you're coming on tour with us. Right, okay. And off they went with the House Martins and the wow, rest is history. Wow, wow, like, That's a good you, documentary, wow, mate. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, saw, I saw the first ever House Martins gig in, the, in, in London. Yeah. They played at the room at the top, uh, in the, which is the Enterprise in yep. Camden Town. Yeah. They played upstairs at the Enterprise in Camden Town, and they were, they were amazing at that point. And everyone was a little bit scared of them because they had this reputation for being a little bit God squaddy. Yeah. And, and we, put, we were worried that, well, they're going to try and convert, convert us. us. <laughs> <laughs> Are they going to come and wave a Bible and try and sit yeah. us down and talk to Brilliant. us about, about Jesus? Um, Fat West Slim's bound to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which they, obviously they didn't. But it was quite amazing. And because they, it's, they were nothing like anybody from, from London. Yeah. You know, and that was, that was quite refreshing, quite exciting. Did you watch, I'm talking about documentaries now, but did you watch the, the Heaton one that was on just before yeah, Christmas? Yeah, 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 amazing. Just a dude. Yeah, yeah. What a fascinating fella. Uh, I mean, that band are a fascinating. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, there you, you've, got, you've got Fat Boy Slim, you get, look how that one plays yeah. out. You've got the guy who axes the bloke was it, in the was head. It that yeah, yeah, that axed, yeah. He axed his girlfriend's yeah. um, uh, ex boyfriend over Something the head like that, yeah. and, and ends up in jail. And then you've got Paul Heaton yeah. and. Norman. You, yeah, and then you've got yeah. Norman. And so, Jesus, if you'd written it down and made a film of it, nobody yeah. would believe you. Yeah. If you, made it, if you pitched that as a Hollywood work mm. of fiction, people would be like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm not having that. Right. Before we get on to track five, yes, which is uh, go on, remind me, I forgot the now. song that soundtrack your time clubbing. Oh, clubbing, yes, okay. But before we get on to that, so you've left school, yes. Are you messing around with synthesizers? Yes, a little bit, but not much. More piano than synthesizers. Um, I, when I joined the band, um, quite brilliantly, I joined the I joined the band the, because I um, I could get them free skate clothes. Because I worked in a skateboard shop. I worked in Slam City Skates. I managed Slam City Skates. Oh, really? Skates. Yeah, managed Slam City Skates in the basement of the Talbot Road uh, Rough Trade shop. Because I started off working in Rough Trade, managing the uh, mail order department. And then they said, oh, um, do you know anything about skateboarding? And you know, by this amazing fluke, you know, I was like, well, yeah, I've skated all my life. And they was like, well, with the, you, know, you know that there's a skateboard shop downstairs. Absolutely, I do. And they said, well... Um, you know, can you go and look after it for the afternoon because the guy's off to do some, the manager's off to do some stuff. And that was when um, Rough Trade were opening the shop in Neil's Yard in London. 
And um, literally within about two weeks, I'm managing the skateboard shop because I know everything about skating. And they were like, oh my God, you know everything about skating, let's get you down there. And that's what led me, uh, you know, I ended up meeting loads of musicians, DJs. I mean, that's the coolest fucking job on the planet, it, it, right? By a mile, by a mile. <laughs> I met, you know, I mean, it was just incredible. I met, like, you know, tons and tons of DJs would come in. Um, tons and tons of DJs would come in, um, tons of musicians. And so what year, what year is this? 1987. Right. It started. And that would, um, it would be, yeah, around about that. And then early into 1990, in 1988 is when I met um, Mike from the band. Uh, because I, um, I went into a pub and I had a pair of vans on because we sold vans. And he had a pair of vans on. And at that point, if you meet somebody in a pub these days and they've got a pair of vans on, it means they've bought a pair of vans, yeah. right? Back then, if you met somebody in a pair, with a pair of vans on, it was like a secret handshake. Yeah. It was like a Masonic handshake that meant you skate. You skate, yeah. So um, he had a pair of... You know, I was like, you skate, don't you? And he was like, yeah, I do, do you? Obviously. And I was like, yes. He was like... And back then, there were only like two or 3,000 skaters in the whole country. There's two or 3,000 skaters in... in in Romford yeah. now, right? So there's two, 3,000 skaters in the whole of the but UK. We've not a lot to do because I believe the skate park caught oh, fire. No. Oh, yes, yeah. it did. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so, so we go out hanging out and literally he got me to join the band because I, at that point I could work in the shop and get them cool clothes and, you know, you know I'm part of this. I can bring a lot more to the sort of the attitude and the look of the band. Yeah. And he was like, he just needed somebody to play samples which meant just being able to hit a hit a button on the sequencer yeah. uh, and the sampler and keyboard ability wasn't actually important and he didn't actually ask me if i could play the piano at all and it wasn't until, i think about a, a year and a half later there was a piano in one of the dressing rooms and we we're all sitting in there and i walked over to it and, you know, flipped the piano up and started playing and everybody went what well, and you've been in a band with yeah, this boy yeah, yeah, for like... 18 months. And they were like, hang on a minute, you can play the piano? And I was yeah. like, well, yeah, you never asked. Yeah. And by then I've been a professional keyboard player for 18 yeah. months. And nobody's actually thought to ask me if I can play the piano or Amazing. not. Amazing. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, there was some messing around with since, but not too much, you know. Mm. Um, not until kind of a couple of years once the band really started uh, you know from about 1991 92 onwards once we earned a bit of money and then it was like right i can buy my own keyboards i can buy i can buy cubase i can buy um i can buy a sampler and off i go yeah so keyboard breaker ian baker yes is the, the, that name just stuck with me. It was, oh, I used to see it on flyers. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so that, it has, yeah. Did you, it, did you break keyboards then? Yeah, I broke them a lot. I, I, we did one gig in, I think it was Cambridge in 1993. Um, <laughs> the, the funniest gig ever. At that point, I was playing, a, I, was, I think it's a, a Yamaha. I bought this thing because it was cheap. It was a Yamaha SY85 or something. Shit keyboard. Made yeah. of plastic. Shit keyboard. Um, and... Halfway through the gig, um, I see these things jumping up in the air and bang, hitting my hands down on the keys. And I bang, and about nine or ten of these keys just snapped off, <laughs> right, and fell on the floor. It looked like, like, you know, like a Tom and Jerry thing where it like, punches him in the mouth and all the all teeth, teeth fall out. Yeah. looked like that. And, um, and my keyboard player was, and my keyboard tech at the time, I was like, 
keyboard's fucked. And he was like, well, what do you expect me to do about it? And I was like, I can't play it. So I went off and I, uh, in, a, in a huff and went off to the side of the stage, drank a can of beer, came back after a, you know, half a song and a bit of an, at the end of a song, looked down and he gaffer taped um, all these lollipop sticks <laughs> onto the nubs of the keys. Right? Genius. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was like, oh, okay. So I tried that for about another two or three songs and it kind of worked. And then about three songs later, it just completely died. And I had an absolute, you know, I, had, I was so frustrated. I had a complete shit fit, jumped on this key, snapped it in half, literally broke the thing in half, left the pieces in a pile on the, on the stage yeah. and um, got my laminate and just wa- and went out into the crowd and watched the, the last third of the set. I was like, might as well go and watch the gig then. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched the last, it's the only time I've ever watched a band play, you know, you know when I've been in the band. Yeah. Um, and watched the thing. So yeah, I broke a number of keyboards. Fantastic. <laughs> The song that soundtrack your time clubbing um, is uh, "Give a Little Love" by Nookie, and which is a guy called Gavin Chung, um, and it's it's an old school hardcore record. And I love old school hardcore, breakbeat hardcore, and a drum and bass and early jungle. Loved it, and for me, it's a punk thing. To me, it's it's a real punk thing. It's a DIY punk ethic that runs through all of that music, and. Having been a little punk kid before, I could see it all happening again. And with punk rock, when punk started, it was very much, as it, when it began, it was the sound of kids who'd been to art school, bohemian art school kids, organised by Malcolm McLaren, who'd been to his shop on the King's Road in West London. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all money and fashion and, yeah. you know, all right, the, kid, you know, the Sex Pistols were from a grotty part of Shepherd's Bush, but... This was them traveling in cosmopolitan circles with, you know, kids that had been to St. Martin's College of Art. Yeah. And, you know, they all drank in dive bars in Soho. It's all quite bohemian and out of the reach of the kids on the street. Mm-hmm. And all everybody says that, oh, it was democratized by sniffing glue, putting out fanzines and saying, here's a chord, here's another, here's another form of band. I don't think it was. I think punk really started democratizing. It's like a pebble that you throw in a, into a pond. The ripples start to come out. Punk started to democratise when it, you know, bands like the Members turned up on 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 top of the pops. You know, same old boring Sunday morning. He's out washing a car. Uh, you know, and Johnny's upstairs in his bedroom playing his punk rock electric guitar. That's the sort of thing which democratises punk and and showed to kids in the suburbs that this is the sort of language that they could take on board and they could take it and run it and with it and do with it and do things with it and that's that's when it got exciting for me people say oh well when all the sort of new wave stuff started it wasn't as good as the original punk and for me that's when it started getting exciting you know when when kids that didn't have an awful lot in their lives were like well I can do something with this and that's when things really started happening and you connect that to to the hardcore absolutely because um Hardcore came out of Acid House. Mm. And Acid House, similarly, when it started, is, although, yes, you know, in early raves, you know, it was come one, come all, and it was something for absolutely everybody, and you had football hooligans there and whatever. But right at the beginning, if you wanted to go to an Acid House club, you went to, you went to um, the Clink or whatever it was when it first started, or you went to uh, Shum at the WAG to watch Steve Proctor play. Um, and it was very much a, it was a big central London thing. 
So that's great, and it was a marvelous, fantastic thing. But the real power of it, I think, came when that's, that's the stone in the pond. The power of it came when the ripples start to come outwards. And breakbeat hardcore is the sound of the acid house boom and hitting the suburbs and hitting suburbs and parts of um, the southeast of the UK that were just backwaters. Essex come alive. Mate. Essex, totally, right? With, with so pirate radio. Yep. So you got you got you got boogie you got um, um, boogie times suburban bass in Romford out of Romford Records. Yeah. Moving shadow. Um, you know, you got two bad mice out of Ware in Hertfordshire. Places in Hertford, Stevenage, but places which were just yeah. dives. Otherwise, there's nothing going on mm. for these kids in places like that, and it gave them so. That's the sound of acid house washing up in these new towns, yeah. provincial areas around the southeast of London, where kids were like, "Oh, hang on a minute!" Yeah. Just like punk rock, I can get me, a, I can get myself a sampler. Yeah, I can get Cubase. I can get a cracked copy of Cubase. Yeah, fire it up on a sampler um, on on Atari uh, with Cuba, you know, an Atari 1040, and, and away I go. And that's all I need. I just need to be able to grab somebody else's records, yeah. use them as as raw material, and away I go. And that's yeah. That record, Nookie, Give a Little Love by Nookie, is the sound of that happening in real time. Mm. And it's so exciting to hear that. Um, uh, the Nookie record is... The keyboards have been nicked from another record, then from Kind of Groovy by Cool 2. Um, the vocals are nicked from a Lisa Stansfield record. It's People Hold On, the a cappella of People Hold On. Uh, sound, uh, Shades of Rhythm record's in there, I think. It's um, Homicide, they sample for the keyboard riff. And the bass on it is a tone on the sampler. You could press a, a button on the sampler and get a tone. And then you just detune it and we'll go. And there's your bass low. When it hits the bottom, there's your bass line. And then you just put a break beat on it and off you go. And it's just so exciting. That's punk rock right there. Yeah. And, and that's what I loved about it. So I loved it for that reason, partly. Yeah. Um, and then, but obviously hearing how it sounded when you were going out clubbing, was just immense. And this is a, Give a Little Love by Nookie is a perfect example of taking those raw materials and doing things with them, twisting them using sampling at a point where people didn't really know what to do with sampling. So there was no, there's no time stretching, for example. So I start, these days, if you take a record, if you take a sample of a piano, ding, and you want to play that as a riff, ding, 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 you can time stretch those notes so that they will play in perfect time as you go up and down a keyboard. Whereas if you listen to the Nookie record, as the, the keyboard plays um, that sample going up and down, if he plays it three notes down on the keyboard, the, the sample takes a little bit longer course, to play. Yeah. Play it three notes higher, it happens a lot quicker. Yeah. So that means that in certain points... But that's punk, right? Yeah, that's punk as well. Oh, well, that'll do. That'll do. Who cares? But that means that the, the riff... Da, 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 it happens... It's skittery. Yeah. You know, it hap it's, it's, it's exciting. It almost goes back to the um, LCD sound system yeah. riff. It's the same sort of thing. It's got this skittery, nervous energy to it. And it's the same thing with the breakbeat. Um, the breakbeat, it's this kind of the way that the, the bass drum piles in is done in a quite a rudimentary fashion, but it's exciting. Yeah. And when I, it reminds me of clubbing because I can remember going to 
I can't remember if it was Orange that I heard uh, when I went to see it, when I went to Orange at maybe at Busby's, something like that, which is a place underneath the Astoria. Mm -hmm. Oh, God bless the Astoria. So, um, and I remember hearing it on a, on a big sound system, for, and it's just so exciting. And so what, I want to know what you wanted from clubbing, because I'm now picturing you sitting on the side, looking at, picturing all the people dancing and thinking... In 10 years' time, these women are going to be divorced. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think my head was in too much of a mess. No, I think my head was in too much of a mess at the time to maybe have any logistical thoughts. Um, I, I loved club. But then again, you know, it freed... You remember what I was saying about the sort of secret language of music? I mean, God, you could get that from clubbing like nobody else's business. Um, I'm hearing records... You could just focus in. You could lose yourself on, you know, hearing like a bass drum or a hi-hat or, or a set of drum loops that would come in. And I loved that. And I loved other people, you know, got bored with certain house music. They wanted to have, well, where's the hooks and the vocal yeah. melodies? And, and I didn't. I just, oh, give me a drum machine that's just like yeah. pulsing away. And I love it yeah. because I could, I could lose myself in the monotony of it. And I, that really excited me well can i just tell you that the first time i ever went to what i would say is a, a proper club the first time i went to the pink toothbrush yeah so i walked in and the first song i heard was a track called grooving with mr blow by mr yep. blow yep the second track i heard yep which was the first track that my mate went come let's go and dance yeah was info freako <laughs> no no Jesus way Jones. really, really? Yep. and it was the first time i ever went in that club it must have been 89. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, it's early 89. Zinfo's like first week of 18, first, second week of 89. That it yeah. Came out. And that was that was my introduction wow. to, to, to the dance floor of the club I've then been at for wow, 27 wow. years was Info Freako. Well, there's a cheeky little tune, Info, because it... It's it, a fucking great tune. That's it's what it is, It's a cheeky mate. little tune, because, it, you know, it nicks, it nicks another thing. The bass line is, is, is kind of a homage to I, I Got the Feeling by Sweet Tea. Um, and Mike, and it's maybe the break, one of the breaks too. Mike sampled it because um, it got in the charts. It was in the charts, maybe at the end of '88, something like that. He sampled it off the radio, um, and he, so he recorded it off the radio. And he recorded it on it. I had a ghetto blaster and recorded it in FM. So this isn't like using a, you know, um, uh, putting the sample directly into the sampler. He recorded it off the chart show the top 20 at the on a sunday night and and we use that cassette as the samples for info freako that's all punk the, rock mate all the, <laughs> yeah all the samples came off came off cassette that's amazing some of the some of the songs even more funky than that some of the songs off the first album um mike sampled off the telly right and at that point no, no tellies had any... These days, you've got a telly, you can connect a USB, you yeah. can connect an HDMI cable, you can connect uh, those three-pin uh, uh, phono things yeah. that connect to the video players. Um, no, they didn't have anything. And they, they an aerial socket out the back. Yeah. Um, you had, what, you had one speaker underneath four buttons, and that was it, that's, right? <laughs> that's it, yeah, four channels, and that's it. And there's a couple of samples um, off the, uh, that we used on Liquidizer that were taped what, you know... If he sit with holding a ghetto blaster in front of the speaker for the telly and saying, right, shut up, here, here it comes, quiet, 
there's the noise, and we used that. And a couple of them came off the telly. No way. Yeah, yeah, really. That's how lo-fi it was. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. There's, there's actually, there's a couple of songs on the second, there's a couple of songs on Doubt that have got songs that are taped off the telly, samples taped off the telly. See, when I think of that, I think of like... One of the, the, one of the on Trust Me, first song on so side one of Trust Me, uh, um, on Doubt, first track, side one on Trust Me, um, first track, side one, Doubt, Trust Me, there's um, the noise of a... There's a... Noise on Trust Me, and that's the sound of a Formula One racing car. And we taped that off the British Grand Prix. <laughs> we taped it off the British Grand Prix. By literally, we're all sitting watching the telly, and Mike goes, hang on, I'm just going to tape that. And then put it back, you know, took it back into the other room, sped it up a bit, but it literally came off a cassette. That's Whilst, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's the lowest fi sampling, lo-fi, the most lo-fi thing you've ever heard in your life. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? Track six. Yeah, go on. Favourite song from an artist from your hometown? Um, yes, and I went, this, this is weird, because I, I went for The Clash... And the Clash got nothing to do for my hometown, really, because um, um, because it's all about Joe Strummer. And Joe Strummer was born in, um, I think it's Ankara in Turkey that he was born because his dad worked in the civil service. Daddy wasn't a bank robber, mm -hmm. but Daddy was a civil servant. Yes, yeah. don't um, sound as good in a record. It doesn't though, sound does quite it? as good, does it? Um, but. So he, he moved around a lot, you know, because his father was in the civil service. Um, and they, I think they came, he came back to live with his, maybe with some relatives in, I don't know, was it something like Walsingham, Walsingham in, in, in Surrey, oh, uh, Waldingham, uh, I don't know, um, in, the, in the 70s. Uh, but between the ages of nine and 18, because obviously he's pinballing around and his father's off doing civil service, um, he fetched up at uh, the City of London Freeman's School in Ashdead, and he was a boarder at the City of London um, Freeman's School in Ashdead between 9 and 18. And that's the years when he would sit in his room, and he, he's, he's, he, he went on record many times after that as saying that he felt very um, kind of divorced from all the people that he was at school with, that he didn't really feel a part of school as much as his other schoolmates did you know he he felt that he was in a school with a bunch of other posh kids and he didn't really have anything to do with them and he would sit in his room and listen to um woody guthrie which is where he got the name woody his nickname at the time and he'd listen to the beach boys and chuck berry and he'd obsess about these records in his um in his boarding room at school and that's what shaped his musical career he'd obsess, sit there obsessing over these records and that reminds me of where I live, because I live just around the corner from the City of London's Freeman School. I drive past it every day when I'm on the school run, go and get my kids. And I love the idea that I'm, I'm now, I can go past this building where he sat um, obsessing over music in those kind of teenage years, because as I'm pretty sure you'll have gathered from all that we've talked around, you know, through this discussion so far, that's pretty much what I did when yeah. I was a kid, you know, that's what I did. Um, and I find, you know, I absolutely, um, you know, absorbed everything of um, Clash 
records completely. You know, that, that was the first, the first Clash album is the first album that I bought. Maybe the Jam was the first single, but the Clash was the first album that I bought. And I sat and listened to it for 36 hours straight, just like focusing on the album. Um, and you know when you, you know when you close, when you look at the sun, you're not supposed to look at the sun and you close your eyes and there's, there's an image of the sun yeah. that's been burned into your eyelids. And you take it, even though you're not looking at the sun, it's yep. there and it's there still. That's like me with the Clash album. I looked at it so much that when I closed my eyes, it's still there. And that's what Joe Strummer did with Woody Guthrie and the Beach Boys. He, you know, he played the records in his, his dorm room so much that when he closed his eyes, they were still there. And I love the fact that, that I'm close to that now. That kind of gives me, it gives me strength. It connects me back to how I was. Yeah. Um, back in my youth, and I love the fact that I, I, I take some comfort from it somehow. You know, it puts me. Life is a you know it's a circular kind of journey. I've always thought it was. You know, and 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 being in, seeing, seeing that building as I drive past it all the time, it puts me back in touch with that, and it's tremendously comforting. There you go. It's tremendously comforting for me. And that's the reason. So it is a very, I, I apologize for that as well, because I should just say, well, I was born in so-and-so and here's a song Mate. from a band in so-and-so. So, but the, so that reminds me of my hometown because I live near Ashton. I don't live in Ashton, but I live, I drive through it every day and I drive past this building where Joe Strummer went to school. And it reminds me of what I'm doing now of my life now, and it makes me thankful for everything that I've been through, everything that music has given me to this point. Um, and one of the reasons why it brings up those feelings in me is because I can, you look back in your mind and you can see Joe Strummer going through that process as well. I went, he went through that process, I went through that process. Music was obviously everything to him and it, it allowed him to do everything that he achieved in his life. And I wouldn't have been anything without music. I mean. I didn't really a apply myself to anything academically, you know, I wasn't was too lazy to do that. So I'm so thankful for all that music's given me and, and seeing that building just brings it all back. That is a beautiful reason. <laughs> I'm to, sorry. To, to let me have you that one. You can have that on default then. Okay. All right. You weren't that. Yeah. Okay. That, that was, that yeah. was really well. So I, I had to, I felt like I had to kind of, Justify yeah, yourself. Yeah, I had to justify because it, it was a bit of a roundabout one. Yeah. Right. And so I want to play. I want to play. I'll play "Complete Control" by the Clash because it's because um, it's my favourite Clash song and it's just amazing. So. The last track you yes. get to be you get to be DJ and and so and and, and play something that you you imagine that a lot of the listeners may not know. But but before you choose that, yeah, you've, when, or wouldn't when, know that I would think. What, what do you mean? Sorry. Or, or they wouldn't think, oh, this yeah, is... Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So it's, yeah. it's your chance to go, give this a go. Yeah. But before you do that, like, we should talk about uh, Ian Baker, the DJ, because aside from the, the club DJing, which you've mentioned, yes. um, radio DJing. I did radio DJing, yes. Um, my, uh, my missus at the time, <laughs> once the band, once Jesus Jones, we sort of fell apart, or we just didn't fall apart, we didn't split, we just stopped doing stuff, because... We dropped our, we got dropped out of our recording contract in 1997, and um, and we weren't really doing anything. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do? So I ended up, I drifted back. I'd worked in a second-hand record shop for a while, 
And then um, my missus at the time said, oh, this is ridiculous. She said, all you, ever, you don't, all you do is, all you know about is music and all you ever do is talk about music, as I'm sure people listening to this will have gathered by now. Um, uh, she said, all you ever do is music, all you know about is music, all you talk about is music. Why don't, you, why don't you do a job that involves talking about music? Like, I don't know, like being like a radio DJ or something. And I was like, okay, well, I'll give that a go then. So I did, so I, I, I gave it a go. I went to this place where, one of those cheesy places where they offer a service where you can go for a weekend and you come out with a radio demo CD. Um, and it's quite obvious, they, they just do it to take money off people you know you get a radio DJ nobody's ever going to get a job out of that but I I got this demo CD and sent it off to some radio stations and the first reply I got back was from XFM and I think they they said they wanted me to come in and not because my DJ my demo was any good I think it was actually awful um, but that self same week the uh, the breakfast DJ had um, made some really off-color remarks about bestiality and necrophilia and had fallen foul of the broadcasting code and the, the radio station had been fined 75 grand. Was this at Charlotte Street then? Uh, no, they were just in Leicester Square. Right. And so they'd been fined 75 grand and the programme director had hit the roof. They'd be like, right, that breakfast DJ, he's fucking gone, right? He's gone. Fire him. Get rid of him. So they got rid of him. But of course, you do something like that, it blows a hole in the um, schedule. And they just didn't have anybody else to fit. They didn't have anybody that could, uh, that could um, jump into the schedule. So I went in on a Wednesday and they were like, we'll be honest, you know, you're not perfect for the job yet, but we actually just need a DJ. And they and said... And they knew your background, right? Yeah, they knew my background. Yeah. So at least I fitted in the, in the yeah. sense of who I was. Exactly, yeah. So they were like, you know, um, can you just learn on the job and we'll hope that you'll end up being an okay DJ. And... This was on a Wednesday, and I think over the weekend, they got me to go in between sort of 2 and 3 a.m. to go with one of the overnight guys. And I, they gave me an hour between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. And they said, look, you can sit with, you know, you can just do the talking. That record was, and this next record is. And um, he'll drive the desk. He'll do all the button pushing. And then and they said, as of next week on Monday, can you come in and do the mid-morning show? And I was like, you're having a laugh. And so, but on the, literally, I was thrown straight in to do national... How, how, how did you feel? I, yeah, terrified. And for the... They actually did you think you could do it, though? No. But I was like, I'll have a go. And they said to me that you're allowed the first two days, they said, Monday, Tuesday, you can have somebody in with you or when you're doing that um, to drive the desk with you and they'll be teaching you on the go. And they said, by Wednesday, because obviously you didn't want to pay him, they said, you're in the studio on your own. You have to do the whole thing on your own. Fucking So, hell. yeah, so within five <laughs> days of going in for an interview, I was doing the mid-morning show on a proper national, you know, on a proper big boys radio yeah. station. Um, which was and then the week after that, they said, you can do drive time, because they didn't have anybody to do drive time. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. That's a baptism of fire, right? It was there, a baptism it? of fire. The programme director, every, every, every about 20, 30 minutes, he used to keep coming in and he would be like, smile, smile, sound like you're smiling, sound, you know, he was like, sound like you're happy to be here. And I'm like, I'm not happy to be here, I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> sound like you're happy to be here. Uh, he said, you just sound so nervous and terrified. I'm like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect? 
but but you know, I did learn on the job, and I suppose you know, with a gun to your head, that's yeah. the best way to learn. Yeah. And and I did get a bit better. Yeah. Well, I'd never get you know amazingly brilliant at it, but yeah. I did get better at it, and then I, yeah, I learned to love it. It's a fantastic job. Yeah. And and the immediacy of it is the thing that. Um, that I learned to love m more than anything else. That's the reason why um, that's I really miss radio DJing is because mm. of that immediacy. Mm. You know, um, that's why so many people that want to be on the radio. You get so many people on the radio that are comedians, TV presenters, people that got other big, like, high-ticket yeah. jobs. They earn loads of money. You don't earn money being on the radio. Yeah. Wages are shit. Yeah. But um, they all want to. They all wanted to come along and be on the radio. And the reason yeah. is because when these comedians are on, they're doing TV shows. It's you know it's either it's scripted or they'll say, well that take was good. Can we do that again? Yeah. And they'll do it again. And they, you lose that immediacy. Whereas on radio, the microphone, there's a red light going in front of it. You and me right now, and we're not stopping and going back. Yeah. When the light goes on, it's your chance to say something and make it worthwhile. Yeah. You don't get to go back. You don't get to wind this clock back. Yeah. Um, and that means that the dangers are obviously quite high because if you screw up badly, then you're left with egg on your face. But the rewards of, of saying something from the heart, saying something um, that cuts through all of the noise and just reaches people... And knowing that you've done that, that's an amazing, amazing feeling. And that, you know, I got addicted to that quite quickly. Okay. Well, you can revisit the, uh, the, the, the moment to... Uh, okay. ..to expose someone to, to, to some, some music they may not know. Right, okay. What are you going for, mate? I'm going to go for... Um, Never Been In Love Before by um, Cobra Starship. Because I just think it's, it's brilliant. It's this cheesy kind of... Uh, record from uh, I don't know eight seven eight years ago mm -hmm. from Cobra Starship, which I believe is a guy who used to be in the like bass player for the band Midtown. He signed a Fuel by Ramen, you know that kind of vaguely yeah. emo -y label. Yeah, and he had this kind of offshoot, crazy, like full-on pop band, and it was quite good. That you know that time when mid two thousands to mid. 2010s or you know it's up to about 2015 fueled by Rama and around that time you know early Fallout Boy and mm -hmm. Paramore when the lines between Panic at the Disco as well when the lines between that sort of emo thing were blurring and, and some mm. of that real pop was allowed to pop sort punk. of yeah. yeah was allowed to escape and people would give it a lot of and, and people would let it run and it was just brilliant you know before Paramore are just they're great now but they're just pop mm. it's just pop music yeah. it's still great but it's pop mm. great pop um, and I loved hearing that you could hear that sort of punky edge to Cobra Starship but at the same time it was just wonderful wonderful pop music and the reason I love it as well it, it kind of takes me back to, <laughs> to some of the themes that we've been going through you know the idea that that um, you, you the, the, the difference in things across the years, um, the years falling away, that sort of thing, that melancholy sense of, oh, well, this is what happened in the past. And I listened to a record like Cobra Starship, and uh, it makes me sort of very nostalgic for the pop music that I used to listen to as a kid. 
but knowing a little bit more about the way that music is made, you realize, listening to it, that the language doesn't really change. The language of pop music doesn't change at all over the years, and that gives me massive hope as well. You know, the fact that it's just, it's the same language, just talking to a different crowd of people yeah. across the years. I've always, I hated that thing where people say, well, I don't understand pop music now. Yeah. What do you mean you don't? It's, it's, it's the same thing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's the same thing. Pop music now is this, you know, whether it's, whether it's Young Thug or whether it's Little Mix, pop music is the same thing that it always was. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing that when it was the punk records that I was growing up, that were the glam rock records when... The, the older kids in school when I was a kid that they were listening to yeah. when it's the same records as people when they were listening to the Beatles. It's just the, the language has changed slightly, but the things that it's expected to engender in its audience, they're exactly the same things. It's expected to soundtrack them, I don't know, going out and getting drunk for the first time or meeting a girl or uh, meeting their partner and meeting their other half and Falling sitting in by the love, side or of the dance floor, looking at the yeah, floor. yeah, so, yeah, looking, wondering why they're seeing life unfurl. Yeah, never going to let me forget that. Right? But do you know what I mean? So I completely, completely. Um, that's that's what makes me so excited about pop music is knowing that that language never changes. And listening to that record in you know 2012 or 2013, whenever it came out, 2014, 15. I don't even know when. It was just exciting for me because I, I got that sense that so much has changed and yet nothing has changed, you know? So totally. I, I love that record for the fact that it sounds so different. It was, and if people listen to the, the Spotify playlist of this, it sounds completely different to everything else. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's exactly the same. And... And people will say, well, no, it's not the same. But yes, it is the same. And the understanding music is, for me, is about trying to find that secret language underneath which allows you to unlock something in you which will make you realize that everything's connected. Everything's, you know, it's this join the dot thing. Everything is collect connected. Yeah. If you allow yourself to realize that it is... And once you allow yourself to realize that it is and, and you can feel all of those different things coming through, it's just so exciting yeah. because it allows you to be open to things. It allows you to hear a young thug record these days and go, well, it's the same. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The kids are going to hear, hear the same things in it and they're going to feel the same things about that now that I did when I heard, when I bought that jam single in 1977. Yeah. And that's tremendously exciting. So I've always loved that Cobra Starship record for doing that. It, and it, has, it does it because it, it taps into a sort of a universal pop language as well. You know, mm -hmm. it's got that sense of breathless urgency and excitement um, and optimism. And, and all of those things, optimism and urgency and excitement, are, are the keys to unlocking your emotions and that's what you want from pop yeah it is mm. they're the keys to unlocking your emotions and they allow you to to interact with something on a very um on an honest basis and that's why i love it fantastic 
Ian? Yeah. Thank you so much, mate. Mate, it's been a pleasure. Mate, I've had, I'd, it's yeah, been yeah. an absolute pleasure, mate. Yeah, it really yeah. has. Um, you happy for me to tag you in this when we, when we put oh, this yeah, out? Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can, uh, absolutely. Some people so can, can talk to you about the tracks. And, yeah, yeah, uh, so I can put it on Facebook and people will be going, what on earth were you on about? <laughs> what were you going on about? What was all that stuff about watching people's lives unfold? <laughs> you muppet. But I, you know, I'm, I, I, you know I'm, I've never been, as you probably noticed, I've never been shy about coming forward with this sort of stuff. It's, it's a part, of me. It's, a part yeah. of me. it's always has been a part of me. Um, and I love, I love sharing it with people because um, it's just been an important part of my life and I love doing it. And Jesus Jones, more shows coming up? Yeah, we've got some stuff coming up this year. We've got some little festival shows. We're playing at the Gigantic Festival in Manchester. We've, uh, we're going to be doing some other festivals towards the end of the year. Uh, and it's 30 years since Liquidizer came out. So we want to try and do some shows really and mark that. Amazing. And be able to play Liquidizer in full, um, which we, we only did once. We played it for the, at the Bull and Gate when the Bull and Gate closed yep. a few years ago. We played Liquidizer in full uh, back then, uh, but we've never sort of done it in a, in a real tour. So we'd like to do some proper shows for that this Fantastic. year. Um, and I don't know what else. I mean, we put two albums out last year, which is, yeah. you know, did nothing for 15 years and then two albums in a year. Yeah. So I'm not sure whether we're releasing any new material this year, but we'll do something. I'm come sure. back to the toothbrush on that. Tour, oh yeah, we got. Come, yeah, I want to come back to the pink toothbrush because it's been it's been 30 years since yeah. we played the toothbrush. So make let's that come happen. Back. Lovely. Thanks ever so much, mate. No worries. There you go. What a cracking chat. Ian was an absolute gentleman. It was lovely to sit down with him and and just chew the fat over the songs that have soundtracked his his creative journey thus far. Thus far? So far. Which one? I'm not too sure. Um, yeah, if you like that, please have a little look at the back catalogue and you can listen to episodes with... Let's have a listen. Uh, what have we got? Block Party, Scroobius Pip, Dan LaSac, Jason Perry from A, Colin Murray, Ian Lee, Dom Jolly, James Buckley from The Inbetweeners, Mark Moore from S Express. Oh, there's bundles just... Go and have a rummage around. You'll find loads of stuff there. Um, also, give us a, a subscribe if you're listening for the first time. Please go over there and leave a comment. Um, you know, whether it's good, bad or average, let us know what your thoughts are. Uh, we're on all the social media platforms. I'm sure if you just check out Off The Beat and Track podcast, you'll find us on all of those. So give us a like, love, share over there. And, yeah. Just be excellent to each other, and uh, I'll see you next time. See you soon. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah? Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a lot of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes, so if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, Scan the little code and it just automatically opens up the podcast 
on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.